Hi, welcome to the Creative Review Podcast. I'm Eliza Williams, and for today's show, I'm at the North London studio of acclaimed photographer Nadaf Kanda. Nadaf's work seems to effortlessly cross over the various boundaries we often see in the photography world. His work spans editorial, portraits of everyone from Donald Trump to Victoria Beckham, advertising assignments and fine art. What unites his work and makes it distinctive, whatever the setting, is a certain light and atmosphere. Next month, Nadav will receive the Outstanding Contribution to Photography Award at the 2019 Sony World Photography Awards. And in this podcast, we're going to chat to him about his career and try and discover some of his creative secrets. Welcome to the show, Nadav. Hi, thanks. Uh, That was a lovely introduction. Oh, good. I thought to start with, maybe because you're picking up the Sony Award, maybe we could just kick off by talking about <laughs> awards. I mean, are they important to you? Is it, is it a good feeling to get this, this particular one? Yeah, it's a really good feeling to get this award because it hints at, um, well, as you said, it's, it's, it, you, don't, you don't win it, you get given it. It's not something you enter. Um, but it sort of hints at um, that I've had an effect and that I've, been inspiring and I think there's nothing when just before I go into my grave if there was anything that I would have liked to have done I think it would have been to inspire yes so that's that's what I like about it I mean I'm very harsh on myself and I find receiving things and receiving compliments often hard to hear but okay um I do I do feel quite proud and I also um the other recipients of this award are you know, from Candida Hoffer to Martin Parr, you know, I'm in, I'm in um, proud company. You are. It is. It's a, good, it's a great honour, this one, I think, isn't it? Because there's many awards, but mm. I guess different ones have different importance or relevance. Yeah, this is, yeah, this is great. Yeah. Um, from there, let's go right back. Can we talk about how you, can you remember why you first became interested in photography and what first attracted to it? To you. Like it was yesterday. I'm oh. I'm about nine or ten or eleven, something like that, and I used to go into my grandfather's walk-in closet where he had old clocks and cameras and movie cameras, and and I used to love the mechanics, the whir and the kind of um, click of a shutter speed dial or the beautiful turning of a focus, and I used to play with these things and take them apart sometimes. But my first love with the instrument is really a technical one, a, a mechanical um, a mechanical love of them. And then by about 13, or at 13, I know I went on my own to an electronics, would it have been electronic, a camera store probably, and I bought my first 35mm camera and went home with it and started photographing. And very soon after that bought extension tube so that I could get much closer to subjects and the pictures that I took then often of dead flies on a windowsill or I removed them and put them on newspaper or things like that they have a they have something very similar to my work today it's, it's as if um, it's as if I've been walking quite a straight road step by step but not really going on a detour ever Although my work seems very varied, it um, to me it's hung. Um, it's quite clear that it's 
that it's been a straight road for me. And from the first picture I've taken to the pictures I'm taking now, I seem to just be not so much repeating myself, but finding new ways of of um, asking and trying to answer the same questions. Okay, so do you feel that came instinctively to you then, those that style and that feeling that you yeah, see? Yeah, absol- absolutely. There's always been a... Um, an interest in the unknown. Um, I wouldn't have known it then. I don't think I would have even known it 15 years ago. I think it's become, it's becoming clearer now. Um, but the unknown and asking questions about existentialism, I suppose, yeah. who we are, how it is to be human, is probably the bottom line to to all of my work. Yeah. There's often a slightly uncanny feeling in your work, or a, a slight. Um, it's not. Does it, it's not realistic. Your pictures, if that mm. makes sense, you're not sort of. There's an atmosphere that you're creating. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. It's not conscious. It's something that I. It's something that makes my heart beat faster when I achieve, and I know that I'm making good work at that time. Um, I think I would describe it as trying to look under what it seems that I'm showing. Yeah. So a, a, a sort of um, it's what I, it's what's underneath what you think you're looking at. Something like that. Yeah, it's interesting. You say that you sort of know when it's appearing. Does that mean that when you're shooting, you? Do you take a lot of photos that don't feel right, or how does it? How does the process work? I think that um, taking any photos is a, is there are there are minute decisions made all the time, where to stand, how to how to how to view whether it's a seascape or a portrait. They're just these decisions being made all the time, like what colour to mix on your palette if you're a painter or, 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 or where to put the brush or how hard to push. It's, it's not dissimilar. There are all of these minute decisions that are made in milliseconds all the time. And hopefully most of the time you are going up a pathway that, that gives you the right result. But knowing when something is not working for you and hopefully how to get onto the right path is what it's all about. Mm. What do you do if it's not working for you? Totally change it up. Take a minute, have a think about it, um, change things, just trust instincts. You know, I don't, I think, I think um, the Western world lives in one's heads far too much and doesn't trust um, the innate. Uh, and deep um, intelligence that we all that we all naturally have, um, but lose as we taught at school and as we grow up, as we learn that everything is about the brain, which which I'm um, which I rile against and is just not natural to me. And thankfully, I didn't get too immersed in school and mess up my education. Um, <laughs> and yeah, because school wasn't. It wasn't a great success for me, and I was always an outsider 
and um, I think that's why photography really took a important place for me because it was something that I could excel at while nothing else. Were you uh, encouraged by people to to keep exploring it? Yeah, there was one guy in uh, in particular, friend's father called my friend was Brett, and his father was Lou Udelman, who's still alive <coughs> and still part of the camera the camera club in Johannesburg. Okay, and he took pictures and had a dark room and when he saw some of my contact sheets he showed me how to print and and that I think I was 13 probably or 14 and that was really a big beginning um, and we're still in contact yeah do you think there's um I mean do you still work in film or do you work with digital now I work with both um with yeah I work with both that's a big conversation that yeah that's more than half an hour just just that if you go on we've if you wandered go on down the, that far yeah i was just thinking of your description of um <clears throat> getting into it and there's and that sort of like that magic of um first developing pictures mm. but also the kind of object of the camera and whether mm. whether that still would resonate now if oh it does it it it, it ugh, i really miss it i really miss the the love of the machine you're using um, the cameras that I would use, let's say, on Yangtze or, or even Dust. Um, um, I have a, a deep respect and kind of love for their mechanics, which I really miss. I also miss the grain of film and the unexpectedness mm. of film. And, I, and maybe one of the biggest things about film that, one, that I miss is that when I photograph, I get to a very... Um, what's the word? You have to turn on your eyes. You can't, you don't just see all the time. You have to, you have to turn on your eyes when you're walking in the street to make pictures. And it's the same with, with, with making my pictures. I have to decide I'm now going to be working. And you become quite heightened. You really look. And with film, you never really know what you're getting. Mm. You have a good idea and Polaroid helps but you don't really know. And so you try something else. And so you remain in that, in that, um, you remain in that state much longer and you keep it going much longer. And so you, get, you possibly get more results and different results. While with digital, by seeing things so quickly, um, if something really works out quickly, it's very difficult to remain on that um, higher plane. Mm. You sink down to a, a different person and that's a very personal to me because um, I want to I want to achieve so much so so that's a downside with digital but there are many many um, pluses to it too I'm interested in you talking about this sort of heightened state how does obviously in your work across all your work you photograph people and often from sort of uh, regular people or sort of unknown mm. people, I suppose, yeah. to very, very famous people. Mm. How, do, how do they come into that kind of framework? Like, how do you interact with people when you're working and how do you put them at ease so you can get the image that you want? I think relaxed is really overrated. So right. I'm not wishing to put people at ease. Um, I think it's the the plainest way of putting it is you know when did you last eagerly go to the movie house to to watch people being at ease and being relaxed you just don't um, we're interested in 
human condition. We're interested in 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 suffering, in how people get over that, in in tragic love, envy, disgust, happiness. You know, all of it matters. So, somebody really not at ease is going to realize a, a very different picture and something probably much more interesting. Um, so I don't. I deal with with people how I meet them and. They walk into this room often, as we're in my studio. Uh, they walk into this room with all the baggage of their 40 years or whatever is behind them. And the same with me. I walk in with everything that's made me up. And it's our meeting and how we converse and, and, and how we communicate non-verbally as well and with body language and who knows in how many ways that that ends up with the picture it's always a collaboration it's never it's never it's never just me and I don't even feel that I'm absolutely in charge and then the viewer comes into it as well which makes up the triangle and without the viewer there's there's almost nothing because mm. the viewer is the author in a way of this picture that I've printed which is on half a millimeter thick paper it's you know it's not it's not Full of information. It's the viewer who's full of the information that they recognise something in that picture that they felt themselves before. So one portrait in particular I'm interested to ask you about is the uh, is the Donald Trump portrait, which uh, at Creative Review we wrote quite a, a piece an, a piece of analysis about it, and it caused a lot of debate and discussion. What, what was that experience like? Well, what I loved about the piece written on the on the photograph is the discourse that then went on on social media about it. And what I found so interesting about it and what I l liked so much about it is how so many people, the penny dropped with people that there's a lot more to delve into in a photograph than just spending one second seeing the surface of it and moving on. And it's interesting to me how people automatically know that about painting. Yeah. that there's much more to it, but don't realize that in exactly the same way there's much more to a good photograph. You know, I, I, you have to ring-fence popular imagery. You have to ring-fence the stuff that comes at you all day and put that aside. But really good photographs, there's a lot of depth to them, and this writer really went into the Trump photograph and spoke, to, uh, spoke about um, um, French Revolution and Louis Sixteenth and... Uh, the chair that I used and that it was broken and 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 what that meant to to a president and all of these layers that people then riffed off and I thought fantastic some people are going to just spend a little longer looking at photography now yes and I suppose him as a person because there's so many images of him whether they're uh, photographs or whether they're uh, film footage or illustrations mm. or cartoons. I mean, there's mm. so much. Mm. And there was something about that one sort of cutting through all of that visual noise around him as well. That, I mean, that must have been a night, that must have felt like you'd got a good, a good image there to actually cut across all that as well. Yeah, I did. It was, um, I had to think quite long and hard and about whether I wanted to make that photograph. But at the time with Brexit having been voted on um, with the rise in France in the right with Le Pen and Italy as well the world really changing to a sort of populist um, um, way 
I wanted to photograph this moment in a way where you're almost balancing a stick and not quite sure which way it would fall. And this idea of him looking back at me uh, did come from other references in painting. Um, and the, the look behind you always infers that there is a front. Mm. And the front in this photograph is quite dark. Um, and it's unknowing. You know, darkness is always about unknowing. It's the, you know, the blackness behind the new bodies that I photographed is always about unknowing. The, the, that's what darkness is to the human condition. Um, there's a shadow on the wall as well with him. So it was just full of, full of uh, questions for a viewer. Yes. Do you feel you want to impart certain things? I mean, I, I'm kind of guessing not from what you said, because it's about just it, making people have an emotional reaction and a kind of... I don't think, I don't think in the classic sense of the word that I am trying to get a message across. I, yeah. think, that, I think that's a view of art that that's probably not many artists would agree with. It's quite limited. Yeah, yeah I think it's... Um, I'm looking... I'm looking to ask questions. I'm looking to make pictures that make me tick. Things that I, I think, wow, that's, that, that's got that atmosphere that I like. That's, that's slightly unnerving, slightly, as you said, uncanny. Um, it's going to connect people. That, that, that there's something underneath here. This is going to ask more questions than it answers. Something like that. And then it... You, I feel satisfied. It's it's a bit like that. Yeah. It's it's not it's not more complicated. And I work, um, you know, everything I do is about human beings, even if it's without humans. I mean, I'm never, I've never been interested in a landscape that is about the nature itself. Um, I'm not. I wasn't interested how deep the Yangtze River was, or or how polluted a certain city was. I'm only interested in, in, in man's palm print on earth, how yeah. it feels to be human. So when I'm photographing landscape, it's always about, um, it's always human infused. Uh, even on the estuary, my latest um, project that was shown at Flowers and I definitely will be shown at Sony with the film as well, um, is about almost psychogeography that this this Thames area is I mean the Thames itself is actually geographically and geologically an incredibly boring river but historically it's unbelievable the human encounters that have been the human history that has been made on the Thames from the writers like Dickens and Conrad mm. to to the wars fought onto it to the invasions that have nearly happened to the unbelievable voyage that has left the estuary. So all of this sits on your, your shoulder. All of this human in endeavor sits on your shoulder while you experience the place. And all of that comes into the art. And it's not only the, f the photographing, but then the printing of the work and the yeah. color one chooses and the palette and the weight of the sky compared to the water or whatever it is. All of this comes into it and it all comes from the art that I've reacted to from, you know, from, from, 
you know, Rothko to Kandinsky in this sense. It, all of this knowledge and all of this feeling that I get from the world around me comes into the work. And when I'm at 4 a.m. printing in my, in my uh, studio, that's what almost um, charges the work. So do you still print all your own work or do you work with... I, you don't I hand it over to someone. Well, I always make a master, and then and then a la you know larger copies are are printed elsewhere. And mm. often that printing is on a screen. It's often done digitally, but um, it's no different to the darkroom. It's absolutely no different to a darkroom. Yeah. Yes. Just a bit healthier, probably. Yes. <laughs> Less chemicals. Mm. <laughs> I guess in that sense, it's that's very. People often think of the taking a photograph it's the moment that you're photographing but of yeah. course it's the editing and the printing and, and what you do at those stages presumably matter equally incredibly uh, yeah you couldn't be more right it's yeah the moment is often a much longer period yeah and I far I far prefer that the decisive moment for me is not interesting hardly at all mm. And going back to working with the subjects, I'm interested to know whether you mentioned about the uh, collaboration. Do you, is this, I, I hope I'm not drilling too far <laughs> into your process, but is this a, would you verbally discuss this? Or, because I'm thinking of famous people coming in and saying, I've got 15 minutes to do this. I mean, do you, can you take control in that situation and it be, be your, you take that moment? Most people have longer than 15 minutes to okay. start. Um, there's a collaboration whatever happens just by the person walking across the room and sitting on the, the, the stool there's a collaboration there's a, there's, a, there's a generosity at some level just to do that yeah. um, it works in you know, myriad of ways mm. I, couldn't, I couldn't say there's an agenda I don't talk much I don't, I don't speak that much while I photograph because I'm concentrating so much on what on what I'm looking at um, there isn't a lot of talk during um, there's subtle direction I look to move a person physically mentally a little it just comes to me but there's not a whole chat and how are you and what you've been doing and and trying to relax them and have them talking and interest them at all it's, mm. it's quite the opposite yeah do, do you hear back from people you photographed on how they feel about the way you've captured them? Uh, not a lot. I think when I spend time with people that, that, that aren't moving or um, people find it quite cathartic, I think, and you know, having joy. Yeah, I think people, people enjoy it. It must be a bit like going to the hairdresser. Yeah, or the therapist. Or the <laughs> therapist. It can be. It can be very... Um, it can be very moving and it can be with method actors especially it can be very <clears throat> moving for them and for me um, if we want to draw things out in them and the viewer mm. because that's what the collaboration is yes maybe they understand more too do you think that what I think musicians happening? actors uh, understand atmosphere as this thing it's a it's a beautiful work because it's mentioned everybody knows what it is but yet you can't see it mm. so why discuss it when it comes to photography 
but we do, and it's perfect. Mm. Um, a politician has a really hard time understanding atmosphere in a picture. And how do you choose what projects you do? Because as we, I was saying in the intro, your work really crosses all these areas that for some reason in photography I feel like people do have these weird sort of boxes that they mm. put people in. Mm. I mean, do you, how do you, is it what feels right to you at one time? To, so you talked about the landscapes. How do you decide what you're going to, what projects are right for that moment? I don't know. I think it's the hardest part for me to think what I'm next going to do. Um, I can do so much and I love to do so much but actually getting off my ass and starting on something can be a bit scary because it might not be great and they're all things that go with that but mm. um, you know that's a hard one I've been yeah that's 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 harder but I know I know that inherently when I grew up with photography looking at photography books the kind of people I was looking at, let's just use one example, Edward Weston, who, when you look at his books, would photograph um, a nude and a portrait. He would also photograph a distorted green pepper, and he'd photograph the bottom of a toilet bowl, mm. and the toilet bowl looked like the cloud, and the nude looked like the pepper, and everything just came together as his work, and it looked like his work. And I never grew up differently, and I'll, you know, and I certainly will never stop photographing anything in any way that interests me, with the understanding that if I'm at the helm, it's going to feel like my work. Yes, I think I mean that definitely is the case. When I look at, say, the work you shot for the Samaritans, mm. those portraits look like your work, mm. and in the same way that your fine artwork looks like your work. I suppose the, the difference most people would, uh, would say is there's a difference between working for a client, so somebody who has a specific demand, and, and creating work that's purely of your own, some of your own desires. I mean, do you, do you feel there's a distinction there that you sometimes have to compromise? The distinction is in the collaboration. With, with when one works commercially, it's a, col it's a collaboration not with your subject as much, but with your art director or client or whoever is um, in the room with you. And I love that because it takes the pressure off and also um, two or three minds can actually make something much better than just mine. So good art directors and good photographers can really make amazing work in the same way as a good um, director and a great DP um, can. Mm. So. I love it when it's when it's of a high standard. You mentioned Samaritans. That's you're right. It's perfect for me because I think of Hammershoy, for instance, as the, you know the, the the painter who painted his wife always from behind. Mm. So I love that work. It it infuses into that work. It becomes kind of um, easy. And the art director's done his job wanting these pictures from behind. I've done my job by finding a great reference that that makes that really spurs me on and gets me to the right place and the end result really works out. So I think taking on work that is not right for you, that doesn't hit you in your gut that you go, I'm the right person to do that, possibly is irresponsible and might leave you making work that you then go, oh, my commercial work is, um, I don't care about that because that's all somebody else's wants. 
Mm. I just don't work like that. Yeah. So that's in the choosing in some ways of what of the projects that you're presented with. That's will some feel right to you? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's in the ch it's in the choosing. It's also by putting out a clear message of what you're about. I don't think people would choose me for making a picture of I don't know for a for a face cream or a shampoo where they want every wrinkle retouched out and polished skin and smiling uh, boys and girls. Yeah, what's the point? Yeah, yeah. They, they just won't feel comfortable choosing me. So I think the message is clear and yeah. Yeah, I guess that's the thing of having such a distinctive style throughout your career that that sort of has driven that to some extent, presumably, that in terms of who comes to you. I mean, was that the case even from very early on that people recognised what was in your work? Yeah, I always remember Nigel Rose saying to me, you've done these landscapes, I really, really like them. Um, I'm going to challenge you and bring the best out in you. Here's a still life. And I'd never done a still life. And we okay. spent a week making a still life together and I can't remember what it, the, the uh, product. Um, so it's, it's just entirely different. It's just entirely different. I've always had a need to make good work and not sleep at night if I made bad work. Almost feel nauseous during the process when I can't find how to make this good. Um, and I think it's sort of, it's horrible to go through, but it's also been my friend. Yeah. How do you, has there been times when that's been overwhelming for in the sense that you haven't been able to get where you've wanted to be yeah there have been times um, where I would almost be physically sick um, long ago but yeah that's you know that's what that's what makes me up I really really needed to make every picture count has there ever been a point when you thought that you want to do something else that it's too much or is no, no never never I've thought I have really thought of nothing else but photographing and the photographic process since I was 19 every single day of my life mm. and I'm 57 I think now okay I'm guessing that will never will never leave you no I don't think it will I like time off more now and I like uh, relaxing but I don't think um I don't think there's a single day where I'm not uh, um, immersed in my process. Does that ever affect your your personal life and the rest of your life? Is is there ever felt that it's taken over everything, or does is there not really a distinction in that way? There isn't really a distinction, and it has taken over. You know, b before children, early on with children. I was very scared having children, thinking my life will change, I won't have enough time yeah. to do. But actually it gets better and better um, as you change, as you evolve, as you get to know yourself better. So a natural progression in life only enhances your art. Yes, especially in, in the work you're making where you're considering the human condition, presumably the more mm. experience mm. that you have mm. all that. Yeah, I have an incredibly supportive wife and children and yeah it's, yeah, it's just it always works. worked. I've been very, very fortunate. Yeah. 
And her, so this, thinking of the Sony Award, these mm. sort of awards can feel slightly like a sort of, and now this is the end of your, you know, summation or something. Do you, I mean, does it feel that way at all? Or do you, does it feel like a, does it drive you on to the next thing? I mean, I'm guessing you're just always going to, regardless of these things, you're going to work. Yeah, I think I think regardless. I think when I first heard about it, I thought, Jesus, aren't you supposed to be dead for this? Um, <laughs> sort of what I mean. But yeah, yeah, and it did make me think, okay, well, actually, you know, I'm I'm not as... Uh, because I always think of myself as 35. I don't know, I'm, I'm always around there. Although I know I've come on really a long way since I was 35. But it always, it always takes me by surprise when I realise that, yeah, I'm... I'm, you know, I'm mid 50s I'm getting to 60 one of these days but it doesn't I suppose the main thing that I feel is that my work is better now than it's ever been if I I think it would be very depressing to feel I've passed my heyday and my god I don't feel that I feel I'm, I'm it's all in front of me well maybe this is a good moment to to wrap up thanks to Nadav and you can read much more about his work on the creative review website at creativereview.co.uk Thanks.